0: Oh that does work okay here we go let 's let 's pray and let 's go. Thanks very much for showing up, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. have mercy on us amen okay uh, how you doing okay uh, i 'll send the uh, attendance bit around, so take that and just questions about anything no i 'm not i 'm an injured reserve so uh, you guys, but I do have a, I have a do not trade clause in my contract, so don't, don't try anything. Uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, so, uh, good to see you. Oh, so, so here's what we're going to do. Um, we'll do this this week, and, and I'll be here again next week, and we'll kind of just finish up First John. In some ways, what we're doing is just reading the way you might read scripture at home. Um... And then after that, Peter wants about three weeks to sing with you different things, and he wants to go in the sanctuary and give that a try. I'm like, well, they'll probably do that. So if you could show up in the sanctuary after, not next week, but the following week, I'll remind you. Um, He just wants to see what you're made of and how you like things and what you're doing and stuff like that. So there you go. Uh, Any questions about anything at all? So here's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that, you know, the summer was just meant to be, you know, we've taught some summers, some summers we haven't taught. In some ways, I should probably be playing with the kids in the summertime, but the way the vicars worked out, it didn't really, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm here and Pastor Nelson's there and, you know, I should probably be a good use of me to teach Sunday school or play with little kids in the summertime, but we'll see what happens. This summer is fine, partly, but it's a little more relaxed. People are in and out. So basically, all I wanted to do is give you a happy bit of scripture and just kind of have you remember to, one, read your own scripture, try to do it every day, a little bit, but then also, I was thinking about it on the drive over this morning, um, how sophisticated you've become uh, over the years, and so, partly, when you read this, you should um, now, you might have to read more slowly, because you know a lot more. If you only have, you know, 10 or 15 minutes to read, you, you may only get a couple of verses in, because you start to realize how much stuff is packed in. And that's partly the reason to do this. So, you know, if you just have a look at this, First um, John 4, okay? Uh, you know, we, and we did a little bit of this last year. Beloved, which is the agape word. You know, it's this beloved. And you can sort of guess at the words. By the time you get, you know, to where you are, you can kind of guess that the people who are beloved are the people who were loved. And then this is the great Lutheran thing, which is not because they were lovable, but because... God chooses to love the unlovable. Beloved, you know, beloved. You know, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And we've done a couple of times over the years. You know, sift the spirits. Sift them out. Have a good test of them. And, you know, every day you're trying to um, test the spirits and figure out what's good and bad and what can help you and what can hurt you. Um, there's a fascinating article in the Wall Did anybody see Peggy Noon's Newton, article on the Trouble in Colorado, that was either in the Wall Street Journal yesterday or the day before. Did anybody read that? It's a fascinating article because she was actually able to talk just not about mental health in a, in the society, but also she actually spoke about evil. And um, basically, my takeaway from that was this: it was nice to have somebody actually. And she's a you know she was a speechwriter for a while, so she writes in a very eloquent and convincing sort of way. But one of the most interesting things about it was that she was able to engage you know what happened uh, in Colorado but then also in, in large elements of violence where you have these unexplained bits of violence. She was actually engaged in not just as bodily health and not just as mental health, but actually as spiritual health. Now not everybody reading that is going to see that, but she clearly there's a difference between saying somebody is crazy and somebody is evil. Those are two different things. Because one has to do with the mind and one has to do with the soul. And what she posed there uh, you know, and I'm just going to tell you, this is my reading of it. And you can go read it if you want. What she posed there is that we are, you know, some people can be exposed to evil and it, 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 it doesn't seep in very far. It bounces off. But she said, you know, there's, there's a measure of people who are porous. If you'll, uh, I was thinking this morning about in Iowa where I grew up about, you know, you put tiles down on the farm. You know how this works? You put tiles down. And you put it down; it feels solid. But what happens when it rains? What happens? The water actually goes through something that you think is hard, and it goes away. You know. Well, that's that was my analogy for how she described human beings. There are some, and there are also glazed tiles that aren't porous because there's something over it. If you let me push this analogy a little bit, so what happens is there are people who are porous, and when they're exposed to repeated evil. And I always find the argument that what we see on television and what we see in movies doesn't affect us. If it doesn't affect us, why do people pay a million dollars for 30 seconds for a Super Bowl ad? I mean, clearly people think it does affect us. Because the the ultimate measure in our world is money. And if people didn't think it affected us, they wouldn't pay a million dollars for it, right? Or you could even see where you know it was was a GM who pulled all their advertising from Facebook and they put it all on Twitter. Why did they do that? Because they said Facebook doesn't work, but Twitter does. For whatever reason, the demographic they're chasing uh, mobilely works on Twitter. I mean, clearly, what touches us affects us, not all to the same degree. So if you'll if you'll if you'll take it in this way, what happens when you come to church every week? and you're loved, I'm just going to use that basic thing, when you're loved, when God loves you, when God touches you, what happens is, is that he sort of he glazes you. He sort of puts this protective shield around you. So when you go out in the world, you're still going to get dinged up. But things don't go right to the soul. People who are, have never been protected go out into the world and the evil stuff goes right into them and hits them right in the soul. And what happens eventually is that, you know, as Jesus says, out of the heart proceeds. In a few weeks, we're going to hear that text. The, the, Jesus is going to say, you know, it's because you've got a bad heart. What happens is evil comes in, it changes the heart, and then evil comes out. It's the same for you. You come here, holy things go in, they change your heart, holy things come out. That's what John is talking about here. So part of the reason you need to read your scriptures, part of the reason you need to go to the Holy Supper, part of the reason you remember your baptism, part of the reason you get your sins forgiven, is that it builds up this endurance, it builds up safety. And when evil things hit you, you don't absorb them in full, and they don't change you as much as they do people who are utterly unprotected. Does that make sense? All right. This is why the whole notion of, you know I bumped into this summer, I bumped into... It always, it often happens for me with very, very bright people. I bumped into um, uh, a parent who gave me the old line about, so there's a kid, 10 years old, begging to be baptized. And the the parent is very bright, uh, very intellectual, and knows stuff. But he's like, no, we're going to just let the kid experience all the religions <laughs> in the world and pick the one they want. And I'm like, you know, you don't let them kind of experience all the possible dental care from, you know, eating a pack of Twizzlers and not brushing all the way to, you know, you don't let your kids go completely without medical care, but spiritual care, we just think, well, you know, anything you're exposed to is going to work out for you. That's not how the world works. And part of the reason it's so important to have your kids here and to have them in church is so that they constantly get coated with the love of Christ, which then repels the things that are evil. But if you don't have that, I tell you, and that's why people who, who, you know, people have different capacities to absorb evil. They have different capacities to defend. It's why we've talked about this a few weeks ago. It's why you don't go alone, because when you go with somebody else, we had the text two by two. We had that gospel text about three weeks ago. Part of the reason God sends people together is that they're strengthened, that you protect each other. There's a way that you're protected from evil. People who are unprotected from evil will do anything. I mean, people who are unprotected, they will do anything. And it, here's the thing it can happen for any one of us if you are unprotected from evil you can do anything it is true for me and it's true for you so you need this you need this protective coding of grace of love of the sacraments of Christ's word not only so you don't you know do horribly evil things because you can do it you're capable but also so that you can then go out into the world and do good and as we read last week i mean this is about verse 6 or 7, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fist fight. You know, the world's a fist fight. But what he says is it's a fist fight, but you know what? Um, Jesus' spirit is stronger than the spirits of the world. So you just have to remember this. All these things fit together. And as you read through this, you should, you should see this. So, you know, and you can read when you read. It's okay if you read a little bit. Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits. They're going to be good spirits and evil spirits. See if they're from God, see if they're from false prophets. Verse 2, you know the Spirit of God, you know the Spirit of God. How? How do you know the Spirit of God? If it confesses the incarnation, the fleshly presence of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, let every knee bow. If it confesses the fleshly presence, that Jesus was God in a human being born of the Blessed Virgin Mary, that's a spirit from God himself. A spirit that denies that is Antichrist. It's the easiest way. In chapter 1, he talked about that as light and darkness. In chapter um, chapter, uh, 4, he talks about it as good and evil. But it's all the same. The fleshly, incarnational, sacramental presence of Jesus is light and good and love. And if you deny that, it's darkness and hatred. It's evil. Okay? That's how you know. This spirit has come. This is verse 3. The spirit has come. Little children, God has, you are of God and have overcome them. So there is this fist fight. For he is in you, and he is greater than he who is in the world. So as long as you're in the world, there's always going to be this fist fight. There's always going to be evil. There's always going to be struggle. Protect yourself. Love. Become fully human. Expose yourself to the sacraments. This is why you can't miss church. People who miss church, you're just like, ah. You know, it's like not ever going to the doctor. It's like never having your teeth checked. It's like, it's like everything else in life. You you just can't miss it. If you miss it, you know, it's like never painting your house. Eventually, you know, for a year or two, it's going to be okay. And then the neighbors will put up with it. But eventually, you know, if you can imagine what an old house looks like, you know, 20 years after nobody has touched it, that's what happens to you because there's never any coating. There's never any protection. There's never anything that sinks in. Okay, they're of the world, um, and and um, the world listens to them, but they don't listen to God. Okay, and then the proof, um, we did this last week, verses 7 through 12, Beloved, let us love one another, love us from God, and he who loves is born of God and knows God. And so I give you this, I regularly read this, um, you know, I regularly read this little bit from David Scare. David Scare is a piece of work, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's been here before, I mean, he is he's a mad genius so uh and that with all that that means um you know it is just is what it is but but this is um you know christianity isn't difficult because of what we believe about god it's actually kind of nice to believe that god loves us and loves us so much that he'll become like us and he'll suffer what we suffer and show us the way home that's a very nice little thing that's not hard to believe almost every religion believes that in some way that God swoops down in one way or another in order to bring you back. You know, that's kind of a universal theme in religion. It's not difficult because churches require higher, higher moral standard of their members. Actually, in some ways, we require less. We don't have, um, you know, there's the, the bar for entry here is very low, which is just to say I'm a damn sinner and I'll take what you've got. Christianity is difficult because it requires that we go beyond our high sense of morality. Well, what does that mean? Jesus says we're to love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, and pray for those who abuse us. It's extraordinarily difficult. It's also, if you can create a community that way, that that does that, um, you'll have something that is is truly remarkable on earth. If you can, if you can create a community where people love their enemies, and I I actually mean really love them. I don't mean like fake love and talking about it behind their back or. You know, smile and then go home and complain about them. If you can create this, and there are places that can complain, can can do this. I mean, there are great examples. I, at Stanford, there's this thing called the Forgiveness Project that this guy's been working on secularly for 15 or 20 years. It's always interesting when there's academic studies that kind of back this up, which basically say, in all areas of life, from diplomacy to your family, if you can really learn to forgive, life is better. Um, New York Times ran a thing five years ago, front page thing about. Christians, I'm sorry, Catholics and Protestants coming together in Northern Ireland. There's a place, there's a thing called the Reconciliation Project in the Cathedral in England that spends all their time, you know, trying to get people to love each other. It's a famous program. People can go there and be trained in how to help people love each other. You'd think it's so simple, but it's not because we, hardly can, we can hardly bear to turn the other cheek. We can hardly do it. Instead of lending money to people who dislike us and expecting it back, we're to actually cancel the loans. Jesus sums it up in these simple words, and this is your takeaway. Expect nothing in return. And that is the hardest part about Christianity, that you expect nothing in return. I tell you what, the older I get, the more sense of the the father having a son and um, the father having a family and the church as a family makes so much sense. The longer you live in a family and you have a family the more you realize all the dynamics and all the possible things that can go wrong and all the threats there are. And frankly, you, you learn about how we, you know, sometimes live with this familiarity can breeds contempt sort of thing, you know. And it's, it's true in churches too, you know, we underappreciate each other and we don't, we don't give each other enough care, slack, goodwill. it's hard for us to say somebody's just having a bad day. We expect perfection out of people when nobody can be perfect. If we actually thought about that for 10 seconds, we would know that that were true. You know, expect nothing in return, which basically means you're going to do the right thing no matter what anybody else does. That's all it really means. So Jesus does the right thing in the flesh no matter what anybody else does. I mean, right to his crucifixion. The most innocent man ever, unjustly crucified. And it's the most unjust act that ever happened. And Jesus does the right thing. He does the right thing no matter what. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. It doesn't even matter that in his last breath he feels abandoned by God himself. He does the right thing. That's what it is to be Christian. And that is what's so hard. Because that runs against everything that's in us. Our need to defend ourselves our need to make ourselves king, our need to have idols. It runs against everything. To expect nothing in return. To get up and go out today and be human, to be loving, to be Christ-like, to be sacramental, to be incarnational, to love each other, and to do that just because that's the right thing to do. Because you've sifted life and you see that that's good and the rest is evil. That's the hardest thing about Christianity. Because it doesn't pay off. And that's the hard thing. We are just programmed in every way that life is described, from an evolutionary way to a business way. Everything is described as what's in it for me. You know, what's the payoff? I mean, we're all about metrics and payoff. You know? And what Jesus says is, what the cross says is, wow, there's not going to be a payoff, at least not in this world. If there is, I mean, God bless you. If we could create a place where we could be. Grateful all the time, where we could live in gratitude, where we could live in mercy, where we could actually look at the person next to you and say, they're not perfect and they're going to make mistakes, and I'm really going to forgive them and I'm still going to love them. And the response then would be, is I really hurt the person next to me, and I'm not going to do that anymore because that's not that's not what builds them up. That's not what builds community. That hurts their soul. Doesn't help their soul. You know, there's only two kinds of action. There's action that hurts and helps. There's only two kinds of words in all of life. Every word either hurts or helps. There isn't any in-between. You know, forget the nuance and misunderstanding and all that right now. You do the right thing in order to love God and serve your neighbor. That's what you do, and then the chips fall where they fall. It is extraordinarily difficult to do that, but that is the Christian life. And that's what John is talking about here. In a moment, he's just going to talk about abiding in Christ Which just means living the life that Christ lived in the flesh. So, you know, life is so simple in some ways. You know, do the loving thing. And it is so difficult because the loving thing often debilitates us, crushes us, hurts us. But that doesn't matter because you have to have the long view, right? So here you go expect nothing in return. Jesus sums it up in these simple words expect nothing in return. The world says it's good business to be generous in your dealing with other people because someday they'll be generous to you, right? Jesus says to expect nothing in return, at least not this side of the grave. Now, on the other side of the grave, I will say it will be spectacular and you're going to be surprised who sits where in heaven, okay? That's going to be an interesting, that's going to be, that will be one of the most fun things in heaven, who sits where? Because you're going to learn things about people that you never knew good things. I mean good things. You're going to learn you're going to learn good things about people that you never do and that's all going to be revealed. 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. That's all going to be what happens when you go into heaven is all the bad stuff gets burned away and all the good stuff becomes prominent. It's like and you won't be jealous about somebody else's resume. You'll say, "I just can't believe. You. I just that was that's unbelievable." You know? It's going to be a lot of fun. So, you will. You'll see not only the deed, the reward will be self-evident because, you know, a guy like you, you'll be with John the Baptist and, you know, the rest of us will be, I don't know, Judas or worse, I suppose. You know, but you're going to be fine. You just, you just sit where, just all I can say to you is go to your name tag, okay? All right, you know, that's, that's all I can, be, it'll be like a wedding where everybody sits where they belong. So, I mean, here it is. The Christian life and Christian morality is not results-oriented. So you don't do the right thing because of what you'll get from it. You do the right thing because it's the right thing. And if you can create a community where people are all on the same page, where we say, we do the right thing because it's the right thing. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. So often the things we talk about here, um, you know, the things I've talked for 15 years, you know, I, I mean, you could, you could say it in your sleep. It's Christ, scripture, prayer, the divine service. Being merciful, being generous, being a good witness. You know, you can say that in your sleep now. But, you know, when I say that to you, the risk is always that I say it to you because as if I'm somehow bossing you. You know, the reason I'm saying you that is because that's this. You, you should come to the divine service every week because that's what Jesus asks you to do. And your neighbor needs you. You know, Hebrews, the end of Hebrews, don't forsake the assembly. The people sitting next to you need you. You know, and if you're not here, it's a poorer place, and people worry about you, and then they waste their energy worrying about you, and if you're here, they can think about something else. I mean, all the things that the Lord gives, that He draws you here, that He brings you close to Christ, that He listens to your prayers, that He takes money from you, that you don't, you know, He doesn't need money from you, but your neighbor does, and so, you know, off that goes, that you can speak kindly to people, and you can be merciful, that you can give a good witness. You say, you know, you should you should meet Christ, and you should meet the people who live in his image. If you can create that kind of thing, and I just have to tell you, I didn't grow up in churches like that, and I don't know very many churches like that. But this church, I would like this church to be that. And it's a struggle, because almost always we think about the church as what we expect in return. That's completely the wrong way to proceed with the church. The right way to proceed with the church is to do the right thing and let the Lord take care of the balance. Now, when I say that to you, I'm not giving you, I'm not saying, you know, you're earning your salvation or giving you a list of things. I'm just saying, this is the life that Christ prescribes. This is what Jesus says when he means follow me. And the reason you do it is because it's the best of all lives. It, it is the life of the Holy Trinity. This is what the Holy Trinity does it lives in community and mercy and love and generosity and agape. It thinks about somebody else. Jesus incarnates. That's why the incarnation is the test case for what is true and what is good, because it's what God did. And so you, when I say, you know, you do the same thing, I'm not saying to you, do the same thing, because you're a bunch of damn sinners, you never do the same thing. We've already been to Confession and men of the Eucharist. I'm saying, do the same thing, because that will give us a beautiful life together, and it will naturally attract other people to the faith. And other people will come, you know, into the, into the presence of God as well. But the only way you can execute that is to remember this one thing. You expect nothing in return. You always do the right thing because it's the right thing. Because it reflects the divine life. Because it's what the Heavenly Father would do if he were here. Because it's what Jesus did. Because it's what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do. Because everything else is poisonous. Everything else is evil. Everything else kills you. Everything else wounds you. It injures you. And that's what we forget. We forget that our sins injure us at the deepest level, you know, and injure our community. So, you know, the other way around, which is, um, you know, if you want to have a great life, do these things and expect nothing in return. Does that make sense? It can't possibly be works righteousness because you're expecting nothing in return, right? It's just... Good works it 's not good works for something else you always maintain that attitude? Uh, We always should maintain that attitude. Do I do it? No, I can think of ten people in this room who I think I, oh never mind so uh, no, of course not you know uh, no, of course we don 't of course, but my plea is that we would, and if you if you ask the question about how can we do that better, you know you're, you, the touch of holiness pushes out evilness I mean. This is classic. You either have a Holy Spirit or a devil spirit. You don't have both. So more Holy Spirit through the means of grace. More Holy Spirit pushes out, kills, crushes down what's evil in us, right? So now I'm all the way back where I started, which is if we constantly put evil into you, we constantly put violence into you, we not only only become numb to that sort of evil toward other people, we also act out in that particular way. Not all at the same level, but in some level. We countenance things that are okay. We don't want to do that. But we also don't want to be pietous about it either. Yes, please. Right. Right. So the question is, how, you know, how do you know, you know how much evil, evil you can engage as a, as a human being? The answer is, everybody's different. So here's a couple of ways that we're different. First, constitutionally. We all are different. There are some people, you know, there are some people you put it if you, you know. So I have friends who are alcoholics. There are some people I have friends who are alcoholics when I go to their house so I don't drink. Alcohol is not served and I don't bring a bottle of wine as a gift. There are other people I know who are alcoholics. It doesn't bother them a lick. Those two people struggle with the same thing but they have a different constitution. So I treat them differently. Does that make sense? So people, everybody's constitution is different. Right? And you have to know, know your strengths and weaknesses. And that's partly when the scriptures, and we've talked about this, the scriptures say, or a pastor comes to you and say, or an elder comes to you and says, I think you might be good at this, or why don't you give this a try, or maybe that'll work. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. But we're all different. So one is, we just naturally have different constitutions. You look around this room right here, there are people in this room who just can love everybody. And others of us can't. There are people in this room who can talk to everybody, and others of us can't. There are people in this room who are long-suffering. That's their gift. Other people have short fuses, right? But they're all still in the room. So the trick is to figure that out about people. So naturally, we all have a particular constitution. The other thing is, is you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record to you, you have a particular constitution, but if you come to church every Sunday and have the Eucharist every week for the next year, you'll be a different person than if you only come half the time or you don't come at all. And that's partly why we always say, for example, who people who are going to lead be elders on the governing board. We always say you need to come to church every week. And if you don't come to church, because as soon as you get in a position of leadership, you get a big target on you. Satan goes to work, and if you're not strengthened, you'll fall. Or, alternately, you won't understand the conversation. You'll come into a conversation where the conversation is very clearly, expect nothing in return, and then the, you'll pose the question, but what do we get out of this, Right? So you can't keep up with the conversation because you haven't imbibed this agape, this love, this expect-nothing-in-return, you see? And that, see, all of that is part of spiritual direction, and this all goes with having spiritual fathers, and this all goes with listening to older women in the faith and older men in the faith, and that's why we run you something from the Desert Fathers this morning. Great quote from the Desert Fathers. That is a genius thing, um, that little bit that's in there. So, you see, see this is how the community all fits together. But we haven't talked about this, well, we have in this congregation, but in the broader church, maybe we haven't talked about this as much as we should. So it, it has a lot more, to, because we, we, well, for whatever reason, we, we need to talk about this a little bit more. So you have a particular use that you can do in this congregation that nobody else can do. But well, we've got to just figure out what that is and how that works, right? It's true for your wife. It's true for everybody else in here. So part of it is, you know, that's going to be the fun part. But if you, i just tell you, if you're not constantly coated in grace, if you're not constantly given divine love, you know, that's the end of you. Make sense? Yes, please. Yeah. Kind of, so what's the difference between being evil and doing evil? Um, trying to think of the easiest way to get to that. So I'm going to say a bunch of things and we'll try to knit them together. Okay. You know, well, you you work in the psychology department. And in the psychology department, they make a distinction, which is a helpful distinction sometimes between the sinner and the sin, or the act and the person, right? And sometimes, you know, you'll even hear in theology, you know, uh, hate the sin and love the sinner. And that has some limited value, okay? Because it helps us gain perspective and it helps us be empathetic toward people and it helps us understand the situation, but there's also the reality that evil does not exist on its own, right? There's the old heresy in the church that evil just floats around and then good floats around too and they kind of crash into each other. Evil actually has its incarnation too, which is there's no evil without an evil actor. There's no, there's no evil without somebody who does evil, right? That's good so far? Okay. So, now here's the next bad thing though. We can, and this is where I kind of started, we can do evil, We can all do evil. And so you'll have, and this, the church, and it's a shame that we've lost this, at least in Lutheranism. There's a reason we lost it, but, you know, sometimes baby and bathwater and all that. There was this, there was some sense of mortal and venial sin, you know, and maybe that's a way to talk about it. So you're going to do things today that are evil. I'm too, by the way. We're going to do some evil things, Um, but they're not going to put us in jeopardy of our salvation. You know, so you always get the confirmation question about, you know, if somebody gets killed drunk driving, do they go straight to hell? The answer is almost always no, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's a venial sin. It's not, a, it's not a, a sin that chased the Holy Spirit away, as, as you will, as, as, it, as it were. So, um, but there are some sins that are recognized, murder, for example, that, you know, only an evil heart can murder another person. You know, that's what a mortal sin means. it means you did a thing that you there couldn't you couldn't have possibly done it if you if to do it means you have no faith. A person of faith could not have done that now that doesn't mean the next step which people always want to say is every murderer goes to hell exhibit a saint paul right so so and this is where it starts to become this is where church and spiritual care and forgiveness all kind of get knitted together, which is You know, people can do a murder and then they can say, I can't believe I did that. Or look what I've done, I didn't know that was in me. And so then there needs to be some analysis of the spirits that are having this interchange, right? So, you know, let me give you an example. Um, Suicide. It wasn't until, not this hymnal, but it wasn't until, I think, the last hymnal, we had the blue hymnal that came out, you know, in the mid-70s. There was finally a prayer, for people who committed suicide. Finally in, the hymnal, there were, in our hymnal there was a prayer which meant there was finally recognition or at least tacit understanding that everybody who committed suicide didn't go straight to hell. Because that for a long time was the, if you commit suicide you can't have a funeral in the church, you have to have it in the funeral home, you can't be buried in the church graveyard, you have to be buried in the common graveyard. Um, Luther has this great thing There's a great Luther letter that he writes to either the mother or father of somebody who committed suicide, where he said, the question clearly that was posed was, did my child go straight to hell? And Luther writes back and said, your son didn't kill himself. The devil clearly got a hold of his hand. That's that's very interesting, isn't it? You know, which 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 is, you know, sometimes we're possessed of things and we do things, that don't define us. So it's very difficult. Um, you know, I've been around people who've raised the hair on the back of my neck, you know, which I would say, not very many, but I would say I've been in the presence of people who I think are just raw evil. I mean, and kind of for me, the way I think about this is the whole notion of being possessed. I think that's a very valuable way, although last time I talked to Kleine, he said that's not the, he said that isn't the verb's meaning, so that's my, one of my questions for him when he comes back. But the whole notion of being possessed, I think, has some real currency. That something gets a hold on you that's bigger than you are. You're given into something. I I think there is some. And that's where the being evil and the doing evil maybe come together. Now, to finally say that, I'm not a guy who thinks that people are lost. I've never said of anybody in my whole life, um, that person's in hell. Never, not once. Because... I've said of a lot of people they're in heaven, but I've never said once of a person that person is in hell. Because we despair. In the Australian ordination vows, they have a line that we don't have where it says, you know, you have all these things you say in an ordination, I'll forgive sins, I'll tend the sick, I'll be with the weak, I'll never break the seal of the confession. And the Australians add this very pregnant line, and will you despair of no man? I mean, that's really a great line. Because that's one of the things that pastors do of people—they despair of them. You're like, you, you know. You got to be kidding me, you know. You just—and—and and there is a sin in despairing of people, because it goes to the heart of God and it defines the heart of God as wrath rather than love. Does that make sense? So to end to end your question, yeah, there probably is a place where being evil and doing evil comes together, and still God's default toward those people is to love them even though they're unlovable. And that's then what we're called to do and expect nothing in return. So it comes all the way full circle. Does that make sense? And if you can live, you know, if you can be that kind of a church, you'll be different from every other church in the world. There's very few churches that can pull this off and very few churches that can pull it off for any length of time, you know. But this is just our spot. You know, this is our spot. And in our spot, do you think maybe we could pull this off? And just, you know... Maybe we could just live in love and expect nothing in return. Maybe we could be different wouldn't that be great because that 's frankly what people want. they want to be loved in spite of themselves. You know Klein great thing about kids don't young kids don 't come to church. I was thinking about this this morning because I got an invitation to speak yesterday or the day before at the Wyoming district to give two lectures to the Wyoming district on sex and family and love and and whatever kids or something which you know, who knows what I'll have to say about that. But, uh, um, why was I telling you that? I was actually, getting, you know what, I, I, am, I, am, I am, man, I am, I am getting much older than I was even yesterday. Um, I, what was I saying just before the... Oh, why kids in church? Oh, the Kleinig's thing about why kids don't come to church, why teenage kids don't come to church. Why people drop out of church at about 18 and they don't come back until they're about 28. His thing is, it's not because they think church is boring. That's always the excuse. It's boring. Nothing's going on. No, he says, basically, by about 17 or 18, kids have started to do all the big sins that you've told them not to do. They take drugs. They have sex. They don't go to church. It's not that they don't, it's not that they find church boring or that they don't want to come. It's that they they very quickly build up this resume of sin, and the guilt is so heavy, they are afraid they won't be welcome. Now that's a very interesting analysis of, of, of the world. So so when we see young kids who come in, you know how should we treat young kids? I mean your default if for anybody who's about 18 years old should just be to throw your arms around and give them a kiss on the cheek and say welcome home. And let everybody I know, and let everybody else, um, let let somebody else sort out the balance. Believe me, they'll find their way to a pastor. But you don't have to you don't have to give them this right. Because the whole world has given them this. Because their conscience has given them this. Because the devil is giving them this. You remember Kleining's old thing about the way the devil gets to you, he whispers in your ear and says, see, you're not worthy. There's no point in going back to Jesus because you're not worthy. Right? So what if we could be the kind of church that, you know, it, anybody who, let's just have a default for anybody between like 15 and 30 who walks in the door. Your only response to them is to throw your arms around them and love them. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing? I'm really and I'm being I'm being dead serious because the thing is is if you if you even wake up and drink coffee in the morning you know what happens to everybody who's between fifteen and thirty and if you don't just get a Facebook account because it's all right there in front of you (laughs) right so I just kind of leave you with that you know um, it's this whole notion of expect nothing in return and love everybody you see you know the sin part believe me we will sort that out. That that comes, it, believe me, if people get in the door, we will sort that out. Your job is to, you know, expect nothing in return. Love them, expect nothing in return. I'm not saying don't discipline people. I'm not saying don't raise your kids. I'm not saying don't say what's right from wrong. I'm just saying if we've erred on the side of anything, the church has erred on the side of this and not on the side of this. So I'm just saying, you know, knowing you, you're good people, you're interesting. You're sitting here in a room that's 100 degrees in the middle of summer, you know. You're the kind of people who actually would do this. So do it. You know what? Look at all those little kids. I I just think about the little kids that are downstairs who are under the age of about 6th or 7th grade. You watch them. They're having a blast. You ask yourself why in the next 5 or 6 years this place should turn from a place where they're having a blast to not having a blast. And the answer generally is because somebody in the church did this to them. And with their very soft hearts they felt like they were somehow unwelcome, right? So I'm just begging you not to do that. And you can extend it all the way to the age of 30 because then you'll get everybody in, okay? (laughs) Expect nothing in love and expect nothing in return. It's very difficult to do, but it is, you know, it's simple to understand. Jesus did it. You can look at a cross and see he expected nothing in return. It's very very difficult to do. It's simple to understand. So, but maybe we could, you know, just give it a try. That'd be good. All right, let's pray. We've got to go.